Un for shooting. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Un for cowboys. Unfortunate Gibbon. These oh. are all scrapped alternate titles for today's film. See if you can noodle out what it is while we introduce the show. It's frame rate. The one Bang. where we rate frames. Oh, grr, my paw. He, he shot, shot my, my paw. paw. Yeah, he, indeed he did. And uh, he is the titular eponymous Abe Epperson. Hi, Abe. Hi. And of course, I'm figuratively sitting next to mm-hmm. the other host, Michael Swaim. I like to think that we're on a little scaffold and you sit one row below me. That is exactly how I imagine. Great. Like uh, a actually, gallows, yeah. if you will, with a trap mm-hmm. door so I can mm-hmm. relieve myself or drop onto you for a surprise <laughs> attack. Whatever, whatever. Yeah, needs to yeah. Whatever we're feeling, if we're feeling like a little bit, you know, rascally today, That's you know, right. maybe we'll just, maybe we'll just wrestle. I think we're feeling probably ornery in the parlance of... Mm-hmm. Uh, this genre because we're talking one of the classic westerns and we chose it for a particular reason I think we want to dig into uh, the history of westerns a bit and yeah, the titular eponymous Clint Eastwood himself I know I'm using those terms incorrectly don't at me mm-hmm. but we're talking about Gun Forgiven uh, which Gun Forgiven I added G too because it's got guns in it and that Gun, pleases me you are forgiven unforgiven. for all these kills unforgiven Unforgiven, um, 1992. Yeah. Clint Eastwood directed, written mm-hmm. by David Webb Peoples, Gene yeah. Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris. That's, That's true. That's what we're talking about. Wait. Oh, I'm thinking of Ed Harris. I was like, I didn't see Richard Harris in there, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Pollock. Mm-hmm. Or uh, what was <laughs> yeah, that the, sniper movie? Sometimes Enemy at the Gates. Yeah. Enemy at the <laughs> Pollock and Unforgiven. Yep. They're just the same in my head. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. I think the reason that we want to do this one, even though it's like comes out of nowhere, probably from, you know, looking at our catalog, is that it's like there's a cool thing about Westerns. I mean, people love them, hate them, whatever, but like they have a storied tale in American cinema. Uh, Clint Eastwood has been making and directing movies some may not know that he's directed movies since the 70s he yeah. directed westerns so he's not just like letters from Rio Jima guy and that's also why we want because cry macho is currently oh setting the world on fire so mm-hmm. we wanted to we wanted to well it just got us thinking about Clint Eastwood his place in history which at some point soon has to be winding down and uh yeah, he's old as dirt he man. old as fuck and Wanted to, so it feels like a like we have enough Clint Eastwood track record to take a look at what you know what we do, which is the more philosophical piece of like. So where's Clint Eastwood fit at the end of the day? What's his little narrative in the dialectic mm. of art and film? So we'll be talking Unforgiven, but not just Unforgiven. Um, should we run through Unforgiven for people? I feel bad for people who I haven't think seen so. it. It's a classic. You should go watch it. It is two hours long. It's 130, 130 yeah. minutes. Um, but it's uh, it, like it feels like a fast one for a Western. I know Westerns have the tendency to be slow. This one does move. So I don't know. Well, if I act, I don't. You could listen to this episode. I think as a guide of whether you want to watch it, if you haven't seen it yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. or if you're a genre fan, you know, like if you like Westerns, then you probably already know about Unforgiven. But I think Unforgiven does have a special place in the Western, like the evolution of the Western genre. And at the same time, it's a nexus point where it's mm-hmm. an interesting point in Clint Eastwood's evolution. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't say go watch it without reservation and I'll, should we synopsize it before I tell you why? Yeah, I want to give one more thing before okay. we synopsize it that I think will put it in context. What I think, uh, what he's talking about right now is that uh, Unforgiven is a revisionist Western, which means that if you look at the classic Western film, it's good guys beat bad guys. This has a little bit more anti-heroes. It kind of portrays the West as kind of a like frankly an awful place to be uh and for you know for whatever reason it kind of puts the classic tone of a western or the classic themes of a western on notice so it's that kind of film versus like let's 
the good guys round up the bad guys and and we did it and you're the best you know it's it's not as cut and dry it's definitely gray well but uh let's I, let people decide i wasn't referring to that but that's very very well said and apt and something that i think is vital to the conversation but just as a little preview of what we'll be mm-hmm. talking about i'm also referring to the fact that looking back now realizing at the end of his life that clint eastwood i think in a lot of ways socially and politically is a step behind the general like progressive thought in this country and looking mm-hmm. back i see that in unforgiven now too like i can yes. i think there's also problematic aspects to the film like mm-hmm. jamie loftus would have been a good guest but she's too busy so it's just us yeah um, i think there's i think you're absolutely right about that westerns are built of... around the myth of masculinity and this definitely still has that despite yes. revising other it. aspects of the Western, which is what's yeah. so fascinating about it. Okay. So that's, yeah, we, this is good SEO, man. I just learned this from my new boss at IGN. Who's great with trends and, and SEO and shit. He's what's like, SEO? search engine optimization, the oh, way to get the algorithm yeah. to like your content. What we did mm. is we teased what we're going to talk about. So people who are interested know to stick around for the entire duration but now we'll get into it and synopsize, and then we'll get to that juicy so shit. So you're saying just... this is how the search engines will like us? Yeah, little bot spiders are scanning us right now and just deciding whether it's Just wriggling all over my skin going like, I That's love right. you, Abe. Good job, Abe. But if someone yeah. hasn't seen Unforgiven, um, I don't. I mean, this is the formless. Frame rate's more of the formless format, which I like. So I mm-hmm. think we can just ramble on, partner. We'll, but... just, we'll just blast away on this one. Yeah. Um, I want to make a note about you haven't seen the Holmesman, have you? Uh, no, Tommy I actually Lee haven't Jones, seen the Holmesman. Western, okay, Hillary Swank. Um, I think that's an interesting one to pair with this. If anyone out there listening has seen it and this resonates for mm-hmm. them, just because when I finished the Holmesman, uh, I thought now there's a movie about how just the West was hard to live in mm-hmm. and it sucked, and there's nothing else to it. Like the only message is, damn. I'm just glad I'm not them. This sure does suck for them. Right. Yeah. Um, I think of Shane. I think of Shane because Shane, Shane is, is like the first like first real footprint. I mean, some that. people say high noon, but like first footprint of like the 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 artist himself saying like, yeah, the thing I've been doing forever. I'm self aware that it's nonsense. You know. Oh well, Shane oh. and Shane is a really truly a flirtation with it because Shane was shot so ambiguously that mm. people at the time argued about whether he's dead in that last shot at the end or right. he's fine. He's just riding away slumped in yeah. his saddle. He so, wanted to subvert everything. And this is um, all, this all ties in so beautifully. We're big Western nerds. So we know a lot of the side avenues, but, um, yeah. To what we're talking about, because Shane, the ending of Shane, like flirting with the idea that maybe the hero dies at the end, which at that time yeah, was, whoa, that was Unf- enough. And unforgiven is a yet another, you know, evolution of what if we and I like to compare it to burn after reading is to the spy genre, sort of as unforgiven as the Western. They're like, what if we one by one take each classic Western trope? and deconstruct it, or at least fractal it into an extra layer of complexity it didn't have before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and by classic Westerns, we mean stuff like, you know, John Ford's The Searchers, uh, Sergio mm-hmm. Leone's Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, yeah. Even that's yeah. kind of a reaction that's to. I guess I meant of, Fistful not of Dollars. Not the spaghettis, because yeah. spaghetti, the spaghetti, the spaghettis the are uh, a little bit more like, look at these fucking idiots. Shoot, I mean, we love what they're doing, but they 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 did love at the same time to like kind of stab American culture. That's true. A little bit, uh, but that's for another podcast. But I I do love talking just j- the Jeez. the entire ecosystem of westerns. It's yeah. one of the coolest genres. Not just, and I'm not just saying it because I'm like, oh, I love westerns and bang 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 bang. I mean, like it's one of the first times that just a genre for no reason because it was emphatically American. The entire world stopped, looked, and said, "Oh, let's! Mm-hmm. All, I want to make that too. That's mm-hmm. so cool." And they did their own thing with it. The Russians made westerns. Yeah, like it's just really an in- international and just like a lot of people kind of bringing their different ideas to what the genre is, and that's what kind of makes it interesting to me. And it's great that it has periods of going completely out of fashion because to me, it makes it seem like. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a thing. You can actually be a scholar of it because it's limited in its scope. 
Uh, it's like mm-hmm. Westerns. Yeah. You can watch them all theoretically or at least close to. But anyway, Unforgiven Stands is a very important one. And it is was fuck. I should know this. What was Clint's directorial debut? Was that a perfect world or Unforgiven? Uh, no. Clint Eastwood's yeah. directorial debut? It was yeah. like in the 70s. It was like a, a comedy, like a Western comedy, I want to say. Like he's been directing films forever. Oh, I thought he started directing later through his career. No, oh, no, Play no, Misty no. for Me is the first feature he directed in 1971. Yeah. Shit, okay. And he did like wow. Wagons East and stuff. Yeah. Like he did a lot of big budget westerns uh i think what's your i think the popular notion that clint, is, clint eastwood it's it's like unforgiven was the big one for him or like a first in some sense is that it is one of the first times that he was making like a i'm kind of hopeful that this is like a uh this is an oscar movie like i'm trying right. really hard here i'm not just doing this you know, thing where I'm, I'm going out there and I'm just like, what, what do they want? What's the pulp? What's, you know, like I know pale rider, um, and and a lot of those other ones escape from Alcatraz were like a little bit more, uh, attempts to be a cut above. Um, but like after he did unforgiven, he did like in the line of fire, he did British as Madison County. So like he clearly in the nineties was like going for, I am going to become kind of the golden standard of big movies. Um, so he definitely came into his own as like a new, I guess what we'd call it a new threshold of artist or a new, mystic uh, river million dollar uh, baby. S- S- yeah. yeah. There's yeah. A, this unforgiven is the first one that feels like what we now call a Clint Eastwood movie. Like if you're if you notice how Weird Al always there's a point after which Weird Al always packages his albums the same. Like uh-huh. every other one is original, every other one is a parody, and the last one's really long and it's a parody of a band rather than a song. Clint Eastwood figured mm. out his formula with Unforgiven. Unforgiven maps too. Even to the point that the main theme of Unforgiven, like the guitar string piece, Clint wrote that. Flash mm-hmm. forward to fucking Gran Torino with him singing the main theme, which is a total misstep. But in the early days, it was still working because he didn't make the mistake of trying to sing over it. Yeah, you know? I so, think he does a lot of stuff. He's like that one's for the olds, you know, like sure. because he knows where he came from for the Clint. You know, he, yeah, I mean, he knows that like he was he he his bread and butter was people who are his age. So. He wants to make movies for them, too. I don't think there's anything wrong about that. It's just, you know, I would like it if young people got to make movies, too. (laughs) That's just my personal opinion on that. But, uh, yeah, no, I think absolutely. He's an old man. He makes old films. Um, But he definitely came to a new kind of version of how uh his his works kind of what where their place was in the um echelon of film um in the 90s he definitely came to his own so in this old film he plays william money a guy mm. who we learned from a scrolling text used to be a bad bad man and murder thief murder thief yeah. and a famously importune demeanor or whatever like vicious uh, pernicious attitude yeah. he's a some bitch and he's got two shitty blonde kids just filthy <laughs> living in the mud yeah. in goddamn bumfuck nowhere pigs die all the pigs got shitty, the, the shittiest fence whatever they seen. got yeah like they like oh, this guy's the worst pig farmer just dirt patch iowa they're clearly gonna Which die any day now. how you know he's <laughs> probably good at killing people because he's right. not he's not good at farming exactly and uh his wife clara i think clara yeah mm-hmm. clara feathers yeah anyway his beloved wife passed away and we learned that she taught him to fear God and be good and not cuss and stop killing people and repent of his ways and mainly <laughs> uh, quit drinking because that's Cured when me he drinking wickedness really get yeah. mean. And, and he takes John Wick out mo- on people. Yeah, in this movie, he goes out of his way to tell everyone about this. He's like, you know, God rest her soul, Clara, who cured me of drinking wickedness. You know, like yeah. took the the bottle out of my hand. You know, like all, he he just loves her so much, even though in the events of the film, which is 1880, she's dead. She's been dead for like two years. You know, it's interesting to me, and I swear I'll let us synopsize the movie, but it's uh, it feels. When I first saw this movie, it felt like such a radical departure from the Westerns I was familiar with, 
that mm-hmm. it felt like a whole new world like Westerns have been flipped on its head. I think what's interesting to note as we synopsize is it's not that. It's a half-step evolution. But yeah. that's enough to give you that feeling <clears throat> of, holy shit, I've never seen anything like this before. But when you look carefully, you do see how this is built on existing Westerns it's and movie tropes. It's built on... The themes and the disposition of the characters yeah. are the same. So For that example, the, yeah. he's a washed up gunslinger past his prime who's going to do one more job because he needs the money so bad. That's not revolutionary but the he's still a gunslinger way yeah. it's handled step by step is pretty revolutionary for the time so yeah i mean it's little maneuvers like you said like oh he's got a family and he's yeah. like kind of a family man and then you go oh, okay there's a lot of westerns that have like someone's been ripped out of it but usually their family like gets killed in a fire or something like that this one it's like he actually chooses to leave oh and he uh, like abandons his kids for two weeks in yeah, this yeah. place alone and the oldest one is like 11 maybe and right. you can't help but think like, man, John Wayne wouldn't do this. Like, he's a bad dad. This is weird. Like, he's, yeah, yeah. he seems like he's drawn to it. Um, yeah. But basically, yeah. uh, what happens in the, uh, well, it's not really the B-plot, just cut over to the inciting incident, which is right. a, a sex worker at a, a gets, uh, I'm not going to use the word the film uses, but you know, they use the Wild West term constantly in the movie. Yeah. But the person who works at a brothel giving out billiards, which is the euphemism in this film, they play billiards, um, laughs at a dude's tiny dick and he s- basically, s- you know, cuts him up, like stab slashes or, on him with a knife. Yeah. And importantly, his buddy that was there with him also going to the brothel is like, no, stop trying to pull him off, which complicates the matter later because they both get punished for the sins of this one douchebag. Um, mm-hmm. So eventually Delilah, who's a sex worker, they do separate them and she's not killed, but she's in a bad way. Permanently and, disfigured. And yeah. that, according to the rules of, you know, in this universe, obviously uh, that affects the uh, effectiveness of her as a sex worker, which then therefore, yeah. uh, you know, unsurprisingly for the West, uh, you know, the the brothel owner gets involved and he is like, you owe me restitution for this. Right. Like, you need to give me stuff, and, uh, which is uh, a nice little. And the sheriff, Little Bill, played by ably by Gene Hackman, who's always good, basically playing the same character he plays in The Quick and the Dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, The Quick and the Dead was second. Yeah. Yes. But like, it's the same thing. He He's so he's so mean and so kind of evil and everyone's terrified of him that and he basically commanding. owns the town. He's the guy. Gunslinger yeah. with utmost confidence. That's who he plays in both yeah. those films. And uh, he just oozes cold confidence and is like, oh, no, no, no. That's not how you kill a man. This is how you mm-hmm. kill a man. And then calmly kills everyone in the room. Mm-hmm. He's that type of guy. In fact, right. if you've seen Quick and the Dead, the maneuver, they do the same maneuver where someone um, boasts about being a great gunslinger. And then he's like, I was really there. You were drunk as fuck. You didn't really shoot that guy. He yeah, missed exactly. you three times. Um, anyhow... He gets introduced and he sides with the misogynistic like male gaze version of law at the time, which is uh, the sex workers all demand some kind of justice for the actual victim. Um, But he goes, no, no, you owe five horses to the owner of the bar and you owe two horses to the owner of the bar and bring them in when the thaw comes or uh, so help me, I'll come beat the shit out of you. Yeah, and basically, basically yeah. the eldest like broodmother lady who looks after all the sex workers is like, Are "You fucking kidding me? That's ridiculous. This is a miscarriage of justice." So they decide to pool all their money, and they, it amounts to a thousand dollars, and they uh, put out a wanted, dead or alive. I think specifically dead, an assassination notice. Like, yeah. uh, hey, contract killing. It, we don't want the horses. Kill these guys. And at the time in the Wild West. That's not legal, but people will take you up on it. So we're in this quasi. And meanwhile, little Bill, the sheriff, wants more than anything for his town to have order. And he hates assassins. So he vows to like, no, that's not happening. Um, Yet, because we all operate under this weird Western code, uh, even though little Bill will readily beat the shit out of anyone, he won't beat the shit out of the sex workers directly, even though he's like, mm-hmm. I know you did this. You're fucking up my town. I like order yeah. in my town. Um, so we're at this stalemate 
where little Bill can't stop the fact that the news is out, but he, by God, anyone who comes looking for that money, he vows to run him out of town. And uh, like I just alluded to, we get one instance of that where it's funny, but I'm going to boil it down to just a tiny thing where this British guy thinks he's tough shit and rolls into town. It's a great sequence, honestly. Um, and talking all big, little Bill arrests him, drags him to the street, beats the ever-loving shit out of him, keeps him in jail for a while, steals his biographer, like his biographer who came with him Mm -hmm. is now more interested in Little Bill and runs him out of town. And he leaves town going like, you're all savages, you American pieces Mm -hmm. of shit. Uh, Yeah, which I always wondered if that referenced like spaghetti westerns in some way, but then I figured he'd be Italian. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, But, um... Meanwhile, yeah, in, meanwhile, meanwhile, with William uh, Money. Yeah, so we we so now that the word is out, we just assume that because it's like a few weeks later, the Schofield yeah. kid, who's this young kind of boastful gunslinger, um, comes to Will Money's hog farm uh, and asks him, "You like we'll split it fifty fifty? Uh, let's get this money because I I've heard of you and you're like the meanest son of a bitch ever, uh, and I need someone who's gonna be like mean." Uh, and Will, of course, does the thing that he always does when anyone accuses him of, you know, having a, a tortured past, which is that he uh, he admits it and he says that his wife, you know, cured him of that. And that he's that's he's over that the whiskey, the killing. Um, but, you know, after he leaves, uh, after he notices that uh, after Schofield kid leaves, he notices that um, his his hogs have been getting the fever uh, <laughs> a line which, a delivery that's been stuck in yeah. my head since I was a little kid is that little girl going mm. sometimes I hear it in my head and I forget it's from this movie Paul I found two more they think they got the fever <laughs> you got the fever <laughs> two more hogs got the fever uh, I do have a theory about the hogs and the fever because mm-hmm. at first there's two hogs and then they noticed another one Yeah, and then the next day they noticed two more have got it Mm-hmm. And I think that that it's probably looking too much into it, but there's an or there's a weird procession there. I think the first two hogs and the concept of fever. First two hogs are the two cowboys, uh, quick, quick Mike <laughs> and Davy Bunting. Dirty hogs. Dirty hogs. The third is the Schofield kid because he hears about that, and the last two are Will and Ned. Ned being Morgan yeah. Freeman, who we're going to meet in a second. And it's to me the idea of that the fever is contract of violence, like you're becoming a party to this bloody involvement in this yep, film. I agree. So, I think it's yeah. there. Yeah, the only thing that it doesn't count is Sheriff Daggett, but I think he's just off. He's always been. Is that his name? Little Bill Daggett? I little didn't know. Bi- Daggett. Yeah, Little Bill. Okay. Uh, Gene Hackman. No. Anyway, uh, when he realized this, that he's just the shittiest farmer, uh, he realizes uh, we need that the money real bad. His his fu- the future of his children is like basically failing, so he decides to. Uh, the Schofield kid did mention he's like, "Hey, I'm going on this trail, and I'm gonna be traveling down to Wyoming. So like, you just follow me and catch up with me if you change your mind." Um, before he does that, though, Will does you know get on his horse and you know one of the uh, Clint Eastwood does this thing where he likes to. He, he loves comedy. He's always been a part of comedy. He especially loves comedy where it's the, like, not the demasculization, but the making, the Homer Simpson, the, the making fool of someone who should be, by all rights, big, you know? So he takes his big cowboys who are large in life and he makes them not able to get on a horse, you know? Um, and stuff like that. There's, like, a few humor scenes where he's just, man, he's, he's really old, really shitty at uh, doing the thing that apparently came natural to him him like 20 20 years ago um but before he uh catches up with the schofield kid he recruits his friend ned logan who is um played by morgan freeman who's another retired like outlaw living with his wife um and they decide and he pitches to him hey let's you know get the old band together more or less and just get some quick money band of murderers uh yeah and catch up with the kid um and then there's this kind of like vignette that happens it's uh in back in wyoming where uh uh richard harris uh you know the man who played a man called called horse so he's got his own kind of historic western yeah exactly um Richard Harris plays one, like really one of the better roles in the film. Uh, kind of a constantly talking British gunfighter, English Bob, 
uh, and he's like an a, like a a rival, I guess, or just like him and little Bill uh, basically used to kick around not together, but like uh, they just had seen each other time and time See, again. I feel I already synopsized this. You want to go into okay. it and actually unpack it scene by scene? No, 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 I think no, that's no, no, too no. long. Okay, okay. Uh, so basically after little Bill ejects Bob from the town and basically tells him, Hey, you know, like you piece of shit, I'm done with you. I agree uh, with you. It's one of the best parts of the movie though. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, all the stuff with the writer Ruth Beauchamp, just because I think we need to say that name, uh, who's played by, uh, yeah. Saul Rubinick. Yeah. Also. So stack cast. You'll probably know as either the guy who steals data in TNG episode the most toys the most toys or uh <laughs> a deeper the, cut than unforgiven or the guy who marries Daphne before divorcing her and before Niles marries Daphne on Frasier <laughs> Frasier baby he's a great actor dude he always does he's a good really job, good yeah. he's really good so now we kind of have, have the stage set you got Will you got Ned you got the kid they're mm. all coming into town Oh, and you've uh, established that the kid is really hard of seeing because he tries oh, to yeah, shoot at them and that. misses wildly. And they're like, and that's also a fun scene because like uh, Morgan Freeman is like, you see that hog up there? I could shoot that hog. How you think you can shoot that hog? He's like, yeah, I can shoot that hog. He's like, there's no hog. You're blind <laughs> as shit. Yeah. Uh, and he gets really, and of course, with the masculinity in full tilt. And the kid's like, well, um, I've killed five guys. How many guys have you, you killed? Yeah. Uh, he's all questioning me. I have the right to shoot you, you know, because yeah. the, he's quick to the gun. Um, so, yeah. Um, basically, when they uh, they arrive in town, they go to meet at the brothel to, like, basically accept the contract. And this is why I think your pig thing is probably intentional. They go up to have sex with the sex workers meanwhile clint stays downstairs because a he believes in following the righteous path and not cheating on the memory of clara or whatever but also yep. b he's got the fever <laughs> yeah he's like shaking he's like out of it yeah. yeah um and not drinking but he seems drunk because he's out of it so little mm. bill comes to because little bill has made an ordinance to keep anyone from trying to kill those two cowpokes um, mm. It's basically a movie about like when cops kill someone and get off real easy, and, <laughs> but in an in in one instance, but Lil mm. Bill is like determined to let his version of justice hold sway. Like I I said, these guys yeah. live, so they live. God damn it! And um, meanwhile, I think it's important to note he's Lil Bill has sort of become infatuated with the idea of having because I think this symbolically runs deep having the biographer around. Even though little Bill was like dismissive of Bob having a biographer, then he's like, come here, biographer. I'll tell you the real shit. Because he feels like he's the real shit. Everyone yeah, thinks all. they're the real Everyone's, shit. That's yeah. That's it's not thing. even symbolic. It's it's actually just. Yeah. Like subtext. It's cool. It I love it. Yeah. Um, it's very good. And it's a really good way to debunk the kind of myth. Well, I of... think it's lightly symbolic of the various subgenres of Western, like talking to one another. But mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get into mm -hmm. that after. So he yeah, basically made an ordinance saying you can't even carry a gun in town. And he's pretty sure that Clint and Ned have guns, Will and Ned and the kid. So which he's right about <laughs> which he's correct about. So he sends some people to arrest Clint and Clint seems more adversarial than he really meant to be because he's, he's all fucked up. So he goes like, do you yeah, have a like gun? Hiding. And he goes, no, 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 no. But he's just like muttering and like, he's like, but I see your gun or whatever. He's like, I don't want no trouble. Yeah. yeah. And shit gets out of hand. And uh, I believe much like he did to wild bill, he kicks the shit out of will and will like drags his ass out the, front of the saloon mm -hmm. meanwhile the sex workers warn ned and the schofield kid and they jump out the window and run away little bill runs upstairs and was like i wanted to kick the shit out of those two too and they're like well they jumped out the window and he's like that proves they're guilty and they're like yeah no they just saw you beating up their friends so they ran away right um in the so they all hide in a field yeah speeding it along uh i'll just say they're they're good scenes uh yeah. but the trio basically kill the two of them uh, there's a little, the two of the, um, the, the cowboys, the people who started all of them, they start by killing one in like the middle of like a Canyon with a rifle. And we notice that Ned can't has like decides right then and there that he just can't kill anymore. So he puts down the gun and, uh, you know, 
so Clint Eastwood Will shoots does him for it. it. And yeah. it's a horrible death. The guy gets like shot in the gut and, and he's like crying. And, and he's, it's the nice quote unquote guy who was trying to pull his friend. Like yeah. we remember from the first scene, he was trying to stop his friend who cut him up. Meanwhile, right. the game of telephone in the Wild West is such that like the kid told Clint Eastwood, yeah. they both did it and they cut her boobs off and her they cut teats, her ears yeah. off and they cut her nose off. Meanwhile, you know, so like everyone's working with faulty information also, which I think is interesting. I think that's, yeah, exactly. It makes people enraged because mm-hmm. people like to you justify know, what they the need language. to do or whatever. Yeah. You know. So they kill them, but then Ned decides, you know what, guys, I'm out. You know, like I clearly can't kill anyone, even though he's like the best shot of the group. He's like, I'm just not going to, I just can't. So he goes, the the other two, uh, the Schofield kid and William Money, decide to basically wait uh, by another good scene where it's like... Uh, that he waits they wait by an outhouse and they they shoot the the guy who actually did the actual uh, actual cutting uh on delilah and so uh the schofield kid delivers the last kind of blasts and he just shoots him while he's shitting um that so they have completed the contract um mm. and so the next day they kind of like go out to a field and uh, one of the sex workers like uh, moseys on up and says, here's your money and all that. And, you know, he's and then Will and uh, talks to Schofield. Oh, we should probably mention that as she, as she's uh, like saddling up, uh, there's a whole conversation with the Schofield kid that is revealed that he has killed no one, even though he said he's killed five men. And he's guy, kind of a yeah. he's a liar. And this is the first man that he's killed. And, and he's he drinking says, and crying. I'm never going to do this again. Notably. Mm-hmm. He says, because earlier in the movie, just good, very good script. The script is incredible. Mm. Good job, David. It is very good. uh, Earlier in the script, he said, I believe the resonant line is something like, um, but I ain't ain't like him. Uh, And he's talking to Ned saying that he's a real killer. Unlike mm-hmm. William Money, who he perceives to be weak now because he gave up. That killing. whole scene has so many good yeah. lines. And now you know? later in the film, he's crying because he just killed someone. And he says, I can't do this anymore. I'm not like you, Will. Because now he perceives that William Money is a cold-blooded fucking murderer. Which, which he, he is. is because <laughs> yeah. he can calmly kill if he needs which to. Is, and yet, yeah. when he gets the fever, he raves to Ned saying like, I'm so scared to die because I know I'm going to hell. I saw Clara and she had worms in her face. Like, mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to hell, essentially. I'm unforgiven. Get it? Like, you know. Yeah, exactly. But um, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So uh, when they get the money at this same instance, she says, unfortunately, you know, it's sad about your friend. And they're like, what the fuck? And she goes, your friend Ned, they caught him on the way south and they killed him. And Clint, good performance, is like, no, they mm-hmm. didn't. Why Why would anyone kill Ned? No, no. And basically goes John Wick on everyone because yeah, the basically the moment you do it, it is she says Ned is dead and he goes, okay. And he grabs the bottle of whiskey from the kid He's drinking and like drinks crazy the rest now. of the bottle. Like and you're he's like, going full tilt. And this is, and I want yeah. dear reader, I want you to remember this moment because just the glee in our voices, but also I want us to think collectively as film goers, this is the kind, this is the sauce of unforgiven. It's all, it's like in Rocky, it's the fight. Right. It's the last nine minutes of Rocky. It's the last nine minutes of Unforgiven. We wanted him this way. But isn't that what kind of fails as a full deconstruction? Because that's my point is I would think Mm -hmm. in a full evolution, he would follow through and not go John Wick on everyone. Yeah. Let's get into it. So okay. let's just summarize the last. Uh, sure. Th- it's pretty awesome. And he, uh, he goes John Wick on everyone. He kills everybody. He kills everyone, uh, including Gene Hackman. Including and Gene, Hackman Gene Hackman has a great ending where he's like, but yeah. I'm a good gunslinger or whatever. I don't deserve right. this. I, I don't, don't deserve, deserve to die like this. Got nothing to do with it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Deserves got nothing to do with it. Shoots him point blank in the head. No, with a rifle. No yeah. quick draw. No like... <laughs> He's just mm-hmm. like, I'm here to kill you. I'm going to cheat and kill you by just shooting at you point mm-hmm. blank. The end, motherfucker. So as promised, the kind of epilogue is just like uh, he gave uh, half the mo- because um, Schofield Kid turned down all the money 
Uh, he, he gave half the money to uh, Ned's family and took the other half, went to San Francisco, and apparently is doing well in Dragons. That's like it. Uh, and yes. that's there's a lot to unpack. And I think, like, let's just because okay. we're, uh, I just want to do it, it. Yeah. as we go, we'll bring up little details. But I think now should, I would love to talk about kind of the Western deconstruction aspect that you're mentioning and why it really is and isn't a revisionist. Is and isn't. And I think it's so emblematic of what Clint Eastwood is and isn't. Uh, Great. Let's go. Well, okay. I guess I'll start with the negative first because it's, it is obvious with modern eyes. And I think it's indicative of how we mainly regard Clint Eastwood now, which is in my personality bubble. Most of the people mm. I interact with who think mostly like me um, are like, Oh, Clint Eastwood, irrelevant, old, out of touch, kind of mean, uh, mm. kind of um, borderline racist sometimes type guy. But uh, there was a time at which he was radical. And that's interesting to me, but the stuff that, that, <laughs> through a modern like critical race theory lens would ping right is like Morgan Freeman who's been complicit in this role in this way many times in his career is almost like a magically wise magically pure black man who's there to be whipped which you know evocative of like fetishizing the slave mm -hmm. experience and then killed horribly and basically fridged to give a meaning to Clint. And the meaning is, well, something had to tip him over the edge. He's got to go John Wick on everyone, which is funny when you consider that the point of the movie <laughs> is that he's like, you know, you don't always have to go John Wick on everyone. That's the bold statement. So I do think the film is still rooted in traditional action movie tropes in a way that does make it less revolutionary structurally than something like a no country for old men. Um, which of course is why I go, oh, we always go, or like I go back to the Coens because it's the best of the best, but, uh, or at least the most extreme in terms of experimentation with confidence. They've done a Western that deconstructed the Western in a very effective very, way. This yeah. does less work to do it, but it's notable because it's Clint Eastwood who is, he's the king he's the king of western for america right you know like he is the guy he's john wayne too and honestly he's kind of the better john wayne uh so far yeah and it, it and it's just like one of those things of like one of the greats looking back and kind of reacting to their own source material um, um so but in, yeah, yeah but for examples of effective deconstruction it's shit like the rifle sequence which is where so normally in a John Wayne Western, if you shot someone on a canyon far below with a rifle, they would crumple to the ground and they stop moving. Their extra right. has completed their work on the film. Mm -hmm. um, in this, there's a whole sequence where he shoots the guy in the belly with his last shot. And the kid goes, did you kill him? Did you kill him? And he goes, I don't know. I guess like he'll I die. Think I, got him. Yeah. I think he's dead, dying. Mm -hmm. And then you hear mm -hmm. him scream. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I don't want to die. But it's not just that they go so far as to go. And I love this. So it's like it's the opposite of how John Wayne would do it. Right. It's not. It's indulgent. He goes like, it's I'm so goddamn thirsty. And Clint goes. Will you just bring him some water for Christ's like sake? We yeah. won't shoot. We Someone won't bring shoot water. God yeah. damn it. Yeah. And uh, it's I, rough. I, I do agree that this is actually one of the things that uh, Unforgiven did give to all later Westerns. Because something we mentioned on the Quick and the Dead podcast with Katie Stoll is I was talking about how it kind of jump-started a new Western movement. It, it, Westerns have been kind of dead since the 80s, like 70s-ish. Uh, and then in the 90s, we did have like Dances with Wolves, I guess is kind of a Western. But classic Western, we got Unforgiven, and then we got a slew of like posse tombstone dead man quick in the dead wild bill mm -hmm. you know like we got a bunch of them and the 2000s and the 2010s have kind of had a lot of them this is one of the moments where when you look at like 2000s and the 2010s and you think of movies like the hateful eight or the proposition or 310 to yuma or like the revenant um these movies display this exact kind of thing the brutality yeah of the West that it's the new story been, that we tell to ourselves about the, the West. brutality yeah. of the West had been talked about a lot in the seventies, like high plains drifter, Jeremiah Johnson. But like these movies did not really 
display it because audiences weren't ready until the 90s and Unforgiven did it. Uh, and, and now we have thing. it in spades. It I, like dominates the... I think in a nutshell, Western. I'd say that I thought Unforgiven gave us a fully deconstructed Western about the importance of peace Right. when I was a kid. And now I view it in a more critical light and I think it gave us the gritty reboot of the Western. It still right. is classical in its beats, but it's mm. just gritty. It literally is the application of one more layer of nuance. Like the Schofield kid gives a monologue that would happen in any John Wayne movie. Mm. Um, I popped him one, two, three, first one right in the chest. Hooey, and I've killed five men. But he starts crying in the middle of it, which is right. the opposite of what would happen in a John Wayne exactly. Western. And that is something that is unique to Unforgiven. Yeah, I think you make a great point because even the antiheroes, because they are antiheroes because they have troubled pasts. They're not, you know, morally. Well, and um, even Clint has come to view his own actions as, and I yeah. think this is really important and something that resonated so hard with me, of course, and is overlooked completely in classic Westerns other than maybe like True Grit where Rooster Cogburn's an alcoholic and it's right. still treated charmingly. But like, I love that the kid was like these philosophical questions about like, how did it feel? How do you feel the first time you saw someone's eyes and you knew that you killed them? Right. And he goes, I don't know, man, I was drunk most of the time. That's right. a very important note it's, to add on to yeah. Westerns. They're all drunk most of the time, man. That's right. why they I don't fight. Remember. Even Little Bill says, uh, what about that epic shootout between Bob and that guy? And he goes, it wasn't that epic. Well, they're both like shit faced. So he missed because he's drunk. And then he tried to shoot him. Eventually, right. one guy just walked up to the other guy and shot him point blank. It was pretty Which, sad. You know, <laughs> as we've learned with, you know, like research and it's a little bit more, uh, you know, pop culturally known. The Western didn't have a lot of deaths. And most of the deaths were people getting drunk and shooting each other. And guess what we did with that? We called it like. The we called it like the shootout at the OK romantic Corral. era of the duel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was just like, nah, just like they popped off a few shots. Two people died and like everyone talked about it because it was a big event. Nothing happened. Mostly it was fever and dying of like, gr like TB ringworm or, or some yeah. shit. Yeah. So I play uh, Red Dead, you know, he, he yeah, doesn't exactly. get killed in a gunfight. Yeah. But I think getting back to like the ethos of the Western hero. In this movie, there's still heroic people doing good, just like the classic Western genres. As you mentioned, the events are more tragic, the themes are more gray, but ultimately, all of the work that they did to manipulate us into thinking that, you know, uh, Will is a bad guy, it's still true, but he does the right thing for the people who cannot defend themselves. So, basically... He's doing it because he's doing it for a good cause. Will can be glorified to a certain aspect. So it does fall in line with the classic genre right. uh, kind of bend of this. Of There is good moral and there's bad moral. And I and it, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, but, I just think that the ending of this movie is really good to make you think one thing, but really it is doing the other thing. It's very satisfying to see uh, Clint Eastwood look down on Gene Hackman. And he's like, I'll see you in hell, Will Money. And he goes, yeah. You know, like he's, he <laughs> it doesn't believe he's a good guy. Yeah. And everything he says is the words of a bad guy, but he's doing it because his friend Ned died because like, he's not doing it anymore for, you know, any, he, he came out of the like woodworks to help uh, all the sex workers. But like now he's just on tilt because he just doesn't like that. They did that to Ned. And that's kind of the crucial difference is that he's just doing things because he now believes he's doing good. Uh, that's the closest this film gets to uh, being subver uh, subversion is that it is vigilante justice. But you realize when you look back at classic Western, all of the classic westerns is vigilante justice, and they talk about it, but they don't make it hurt. They don't make it they don't feel make bad. You feel it. Yeah, yeah. And this one does. Unforgiven so makes you feel it, which I think, and I think that perfectly encapsulates a truth about Clint Eastwood, which is that he is a half step, like as a person and as an artist. And I think he came up in a system that he fully lives and breathes and understands to the point mm -hmm. that he regurgitates exactly what Oscar 
Like, look no further than this era and for the next, like, 15 years of Clint Eastwood movies for, like, that's what the Academy, that's what was considered high but mainstream art at the time. Mm -hmm. He's, Mm -hmm. like, right in there at a time when Spielberg is turning in stuff like War Horse and War of the Worlds that aren't quite hitting in the way Spielberg usually does. Clint Eastwood kind of carried that torch in a quiet way. I mean, between Mystic River and Million Dollar Baby, he's just like, Oscars, please. And Letters from My Father and, or Letters from Iwo Jima or whatever, Flags of Our yeah, Father. Yeah, the, er, yeah. Dude, the 2000s the golden were bleak, era. man. <laughs> they yeah. were bleak. Uh, and that's what is like, interesting is yeah. that at the end of the day, this guy who's pretty con- traditional is still the best we have. Like, I don't know, because it's funny. I really like Unforgiven, but in other ways, I couldn't help but realize that it highlights that, you know, if you don't, and this isn't limited to whatever gender you, the listener of your express, anyone can be interested in any kind of media, but you better be interested in big swing and dick, masculine, like epic. It's still doing the classic Western thing of like polishing the legend of, the white male cowboy like the yeah let's talk about this let's look talk how about badass john wick is and and to do that it literally subsumes the plight of the two big impacted classes in our country which are the black guy gets horribly killed and the sex worker gets horribly brutally like their their suffering is the emotional mm-hmm. core of what's supposed to make the movie tick mm-hmm. you know the princess in distress or whatever the abuse of a woman who can't defend herself right. i'm just saying westerns enshrine those things and if you're sick and if anyone who says i'm sick of that story where the guy saves the poor helpless chick i would totally get that um, if you're not sick of those yet, this is a good one <laughs> that yeah. just happens to still fall into that mode of the male gaze and the traditional way that society runs, right? Where it's mm-hmm. making its fodder off of like Ned mm-hmm. and Delilah at the expense mm-hmm. of Ned and Delilah mm-hmm. so that the two white men can face off, which is, it is what it is. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah, uh, I think there's an interesting notion in this film about the the masculinity of the uh, Western hero. Um, Another reason I love Breaking con- the Dead, by the way. Mm. Sharon Stone. It, there's, there's not. Yeah, exactly. There's obviously much better, much more upfront uh, kind of a attacks on this trope Mm -hmm. and rightfully so uh i think that there's an interesting notion about this because of the subversion that this film is doing um and clint eastwood as a whole and i think something you said at the beginning of this which is that he's he is kind of good at it but he's always like a beat or a decade behind um which is interesting because he was one of the first people to really acknowledge this uh, in a time in like the, the, you know, the sixties and seventies, he was making it like paint my wagon and stuff like that. Like he was subverting his own uh, masculinity openly by doing musicals and stuff. I know these are like, you know, eye rolly kind of cringy tropes that like the old, the olds, the old timey people would say this is a subversion of the trope and it's super basic, mm-hmm. but like he was there at the beginning, one of the first people who did it. Now you jump forward in time and we have all moved on from that and he's still kind of like, well, it's that, but I, you know, I'm, I'm still not ready for me myself to like become a relevant. To become that relevant. Yeah. I yeah, just because don't know if I agree still, with that. Because he's mean, like what, a conservative old dude. He's 93 and in Cry Macho, just like in Gran Torino, he's like, I do want to work with minorities, people of color, but it's still about me saving them. You know what I mean? Which yeah, is interesting. Exactly. Um, yeah. Rather than doing what he should probably arguably do, which is mm-hmm. step aside and foster other filmmakers whose time it is mm-hmm. to now step onto the stage and shine. Right. I mean, Sidney Lumet stopped. I think he, I think Clint just beat Sidney Lumet who before was the oldest living director who directed uh before the devil knows you're dead at age 92 clint just directed cry macho at 93 or 94 i'm pretty sure God. nuts this man's man. gonna live forever yeah. apparently uh and, and he threw a punch it makes in it sense that he, it makes sense that he's like a cowboy who's like every day i eat a steak you yeah. know like uh but yeah i think that there are some clear indications of subversion of masculinity i'm not just talking about 
someone who we put on a pedestal who happens to be male, like uh, a cowboy falling off a horse. I'm talking about a man sitting on a tree who just shot someone mm -hmm. and is crying about it. And the whole time he's been talking about how how like how strong he is and how masculine he is yeah. and how he can f kill anybody. Um, the Western itself has always kind of conflated this strange form of violence with masculinity. And there's been many films that have kind of subverted that trope. Most recently, one of my favorite ones was the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford uh, and what they do with masculinity in that film. It's pretty subtle, but in the same way that this film does, uh, it's there. And I think that in the 90s, I'm not saying that it's the best. I'm saying in the 90s, this get like if we talk about subverting masculinity in films, especially something like the Western, which is like the most masculine thing I can think of next to like sports movies. It smells the genre of Western smells like sweat dripping down a leather nutsack yeah. case yeah which is yeah 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 which yeah and um the whole the whole thing to me is that the like that crying scene um the scene with ned them talking about uh like being uh not sleeping around uh there's a scene uh, with him and Delilah as, as in, uh, Will and Delilah, where he's explaining that he can't do it because of his, uh, he can't ha like take a quote free one mm -hmm. because, uh, his wife, uh, who is she, Delilah doesn't know that she's dead. And Delilah's like, I admire you for that. Once again, half measures. But if it weren't for that, I don't think we would get stuff. But at like the end of the, the day, dead. then they have a weird scene that you don't really need mm -hmm. where the brood mother says to Delilah, oh, his wife's dead. And it cuts to Delilah looking disappointed as if she's sad that he didn't want to fuck her with because her face is cut up, which is that's I just true. am saying like it's still clearly written from a male gaze because that's not yeah. I don't think that's how a the Western female is... would tell that story. No, not at all. Uh yeah, not at all. The like, Western is oh, always sad. Been she's by sad men, that she's too ugly to be fucked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that's a, her motivation. It's dumb, but like I, that's not what I'm saying. That's auxiliary to me because that's like, what's that? What you're absolutely right about that, and that is what this film is. That's why it's a half measure. It's almost it's one step Western. forward, two steps yeah. back, or like at least standing pat. Mm -hmm. Um, because like it's it's in the most masculine genre that we can think of and i think that there's something to be said about clint eastwood's uh you know actions in that regard he did want to remove the veil of that he won't go so far and write like a convincing female character i mean he didn't write it but like he won't go so far and try to tell a tale uh, about that but like I was saying like I don't think we would have the quick and the dead if it were for this film yeah. I don't think we would and therefore I and I, I like this idea about how film and culture propagates like what the next films do like if we didn't have quick and the dead we probably wouldn't have had assassination of Jesse James or at least the proposition we probably wouldn't have the assassination of Jesse James and if we didn't have that we probably wouldn't have like true grit you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like this, this keeps kind of pushing it forward. And I think that like understanding that people have their kind of place there and did their kind of half measures here and there doesn't mean that we should entomb the like people. <laughs> I say that like he's dead. We, we should build a, like a, you know, a giant pyramid to the honor of them. I'm just saying that like understanding the historical kind of network that is something like cinema is kind of interesting uh, and I think important. Speaking of which, have you seen the trailer for the power of the dog? Uh, not yet. Western I with think, fucking, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, if we didn't have Buster Did Scruggs, we wouldn't have the power of the dog. Cause it's uh Delmer right. as an amazing gun it's hand Delmer. again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's Let's sometimes do. it's just like that. It's just like Gene Hackman reprising a role, right? I swear Other to God, times the quick like and the, the dead is just little Bill moved to a new town. And right. It really is the shit. same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's, and everything gets, you know, obviously I don't mean like 
Quick and the Dead wouldn't have existed if it weren't for Unforgiven only. Uh, obviously, Quick and the Dead is like a smorgasbord of different, uh, you know, influences. Just as, you know, Assassination of Jesse James is a, a bunch of different influences. Mm-hmm. Um the Revenant, you know, like I, there's probably someone could argue that the Revenant wouldn't have been made if it weren't for things like Game of Thrones, you know, like the torture porn that is just like relentless. Uh, Plus, know, the awful idea things of happen to someone. now that we can do CG on anything, the way we really prove we spent a lot of money as we travel to exotic locales all over the world. Um, that also, I think, ties into the Revenant impulse. Because definitely, there's no question to me that Leo got off on the idea yeah. of like, I really have to go to the Arctic and eat a fish raw from the river. Mm. Like I'm fucking hardcore. You know, that's part of the challenge for actors, I think of a certain stripe. Yeah. Uh, what we really haven't seen, and I think we're going to see very soon here is an update on the Western where it's from the native American perspective. Mm hmm. Uh, because that is one of the things that the, one of the greatest ills that is still yet to be kind of tackled by that genre reckoned with in this country. Like, especially I've said since the cracked days, they need to make a native post apocalypse story because one of Jack, a fact that Jack O'Brien introduced me to in my life that everyone should obviously know is that like a lot of times uneducated white folks will think of native americans is like a loose affiliation of tribal peoples who mm-hmm. came and got swept aside cruelly but you're really underestimating it wasn't a loose association of tribal nomadic peoples it was like the area where new york now was had a similar population it had like millions of people living there or whatever like there were huge cities and things that we wiped out it, it is an incredible there was such a built up civilization that it's fair to say that that civilization experienced the apocalypse. Like their complete way of life was completely removed from the earth. And it's not Mm. like they were just dicking around camping. You know what I mean? Which I think uh, in our ignorance, some of us can sometimes envision it that way, but like, damn dude, a, I guess, unfortunately, as much as I hate Mel Gibson or like for, Central American peoples, there's some of this from like Apocalypto, but I can't think of any other movie where it's like uh, yeah, there's native peoples dealing with the end of the civilization and what a radical well, shift that was. Yeah, I think that that there's like truth to that uh, because like there's no great way to do that. Like the Western is a archetype that was built essentially on the bodies uh, of Native Americans by and white Mexican people. Folks, yeah. Yeah, like basically we said we're going to tell these stories of how we genocided and we're going to like we're going to do this shit and like like remember it fondly. Um, like what a crazy and, adventurous time that was when we were doing that. And that's that indicative of yeah. and that's another way that film is film is not the enemy here it's indicative well i mean it can be because it perpetuates it culture is the enemy here right uh and it's true that you could say the genre of the western is an exercise in whitewashing history yes exactly that is exactly right um and i think that because of that there's that's why probably uh a lot of uh native american central american filmmakers have avoided it entirely because they're just like fuck that entire fuck genre western sell out yeah genre but whatever, i do yeah. want to do like there's something bitter there's something bittersweet about like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it right in front of you and like i'm gonna fuck with your brain it's just my in, star wars in your in palette the, i just like the elements that comprise the western like rusty six guns and horses and chaparral sure that's the romantic just appeal to me yeah. yeah yeah there's a lot of like even medieval knights have the same but damn yeah notion. it's one of the more problematic genres generally i mean history is <laughs> problematic man you take yeah. any history like it's not a, it's not good. We do it we to ourselves. To, yeah. We just choose the reason that we get uh, all like quote uppity uppity about it is that we get uppity about it because most people still don't still think, ah, but it's not as bad as like, you know, like the dark ages or whatever. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't cure it of its, you know, sins. So let's, uh, let's make sure that this one, we send this one down. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that that, that that reckoning is coming for Westerns. I think it's already been here. Uh, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a film, I think, that comes out that's going to be like, yep, 
fuck it. <laughs> You're all fucking done. This this genre is done more or less. And then there'll be more movies, of course, because that's not how cinema works. Mm-hmm. It's not like one person makes a movie and then it's done. Uh, but, you know, like I do think that there's probably a legendary Western on the horizon uh, that's going to be that will fire a native experience. Yeah. I hope. It's going to be cool. It's, yeah. It's going to fire an entire kind of thing at us. And I think that that's, uh, I, I got to believe just because cool. that's such an obvious vital story to tell that there are some great Westerns from the native point of view. And I bet some of our kind listeners will point us in the direction of some cool I mean, indie Westerns. Yeah, I hope. Please do. If you, if you can think of one that really does, but I can't think of one. Cause like I'm no, pretty even well dead man. The native character is like the sidekick. Uh, there was a, a 93 film called Geronimo uh, mm. that also had Gene Hackman. Uh, that was about this kind of thing, but it's still like, at the helm, white people telling its story like they just made Geronimo like a white hero kind of. I thing. haven't seen Last of the Mohicans, but that's also a white. Last of Daniel Day Lewis, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not only just the whitewashing of the casting, which is like literally skin deep, but it's yeah. also like when you look at the themes of that movie, it's once again trying to take the Western ethos of its of its main characters, its heroes, and installing them. Reconcile in the, how it, it's good actually that we did this. Yeah, <laughs> and like in the same way that it's just like oh, there's people who are hurt. And someone's coming to bat for them, which is, you know, that I don't think that that will truly ever get old, but it kind of just slides right past all of the genocide. And it's just like, we can all be friends, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, not helpful uh, the, these days. Maybe it was as I was, you know, cueing what I was saying before in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Maybe it was helpful. And it was um, Unforgiven did good things. That all the steps argument. in the journey are steps in the journey, even but, if they lose their luster later. Like it was a step right. in the journey. Yeah. Welcome to the 2020s. We're making movies that were even more sophisticated a, than 20 can, years ago. That's how that works. Yes. yes. <laughs> so that's, yeah. Hopefully people are following kind of my logic there. I think so. Um, and yeah, I look forward to, I like the genre because of the same things. There's something romantic about, you know. I'm excited about Power of the Dog. Or like every time I yeah. see a new Western, I'm like, yippee ki yay, here we go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, there's a lot, there's, yeah. Uh, and I love that it has like a history that's like, uh, it's one of the things that Americans, like I know uh, uh, when it comes to cinema, almost everything's American because we're the ones who have the money, who, who made the things, we right. made the genres. But it's one of those things that we really said like, this is for America though, you know? And then mm-hmm. the rest of the world was like, nah. <laughs> and I love that. I love that. I love new wave. I love like describing the spaghetti western as like italian new wave (laughs) it's uh it's very interesting to me um yeah that's kind of all i got we talked about the ethos we talked about the gender politics Mm -hmm. we talked about the historical aspect of it the deep i don't know deconstructionist aspect the go watch it see if you get this stuff you know Um, if you get stuff from it the visual aspect is fairly straightforward for the time, so we it's didn't have much to say about that. It's pretty beautiful, though. It's beautiful, but it's um, there's nothing that draws the eye. It, that's why I say it's almost, he is almost Spielbergian. Actually, he has less flair than Spielberg, which is something. It's also It's very, hard. very straightforward filmmaking. Clint always right. has been very straightforward. And when you're shooting with like candlelight and fires though like at nighttime you, like it looks artistic no matter which way you slice it it's hard yeah to not look i was just artistic. gonna say yeah. that like if you look at something like a tv show like deadwood obviously that was like you know almost two decades later uh or a decade later i mean uh but like it looks just as good as that why because you know it's it's they chose good sequences to shoot you know? Or Lincoln, even, and, to go back to Spielberg, yeah. he lit that all with candlelight, and it looks effortlessly fantastic. And no one's going to deny the absolute beauty of, like, Wyoming. You don't go to Wyoming. Like, I'm sure there's ugly parts of Wyoming. I've never been. But also, you look at the places that they shot in Wyoming, yeah. like this big whiskey area, and you see the mountains, the snow-capped mountains, and the rolling hills, and, like, the animals perching all around, and you just go, holy fuck. You know, like there's nothing. Of course, it's beautiful. So uh, I think that's one of the main reasons I love Westerns is it uh, is nature porn 
Not a, not yeah. enough genres include nature porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Revenant, yeah, that long shot of the clouds forming over the mountain right. cap. Fucking yep, rad. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And this, uh, this is definitely a genre that feels because it's usually meditative tone or is slow editing. Uh, it usually takes its time with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these that we can think of. Um, yeah, not enough genres are slow paced footage of nature. <laughs> have you seen slow West? No, not yet. I really want to. Is it? Yeah. yeah. yeah? should it just okay. reminds me because it's got word the word slow in it it's mm-hmm. also a meditative western so it makes sense um yeah there's there's a lot of recent westerns that are not too bad yeah. uh i hope we keep uh subverting because any old genre needs to be subverted all the time right. any genre needs to be subverted all the time because if you're old enough to be called a genre you should you know get to get out of here with your classic bullshit mm-hmm. so hopefully to many more years of just cutting up and you know, serving a little, a little piece of itself to itself, uh, for the, for the Western. That's what I hope. Yeah. Uh, anything else from you, my man? No, I don't think so. It's It's always a pleasure. Saddle up and just go into the sunset. Yeah. Sometimes I worry that when we don't have a guest, it feels like this is an episode of our deep dives, but I'll get it's over it. How, you'll get over it. It's just how we talk. So I'm wondering if people, I was going to tweet this, but I'll just ask it on the air. Um, yo, tweet at us. If you have any favorite guests or guests, I've been wondering, like, are there guests that you get excited when you're like, Oh, yeah. so-and-so's on this week. Um, yeah. we want to know who our Give most us, favorite is. Tell guests us what, are. help us rank the our peanut friends. butter. Yeah. Who's the peanut butter to our chocolate? Yeah. Cause we've been thinking about, well, we, we sort of go around the horn and go around the horn and we're thinking about expanding our guest pool right now or whether people like having recurring guests so they can get to know their personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, intri- any insights you have on guest strategy. But otherwise, we'll be here. Yeah. Adam, usually, Just, in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Bridget, Sarah. Yeah. Bridget and Sarah. The Beans. The Beans. Yeah. All right, should we hit it? Let's hit it. One, two, three, go. Bye. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.